Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. In the world of political podcasts, there are experts, there are pundits, and then there's Tom Powell. Happy Friday, and welcome to another episode of the Second Half Podcast with Tom Powell. Remember, remember, if you're listening to this, that means you made it through another week, and margaritas are in order. And now your host... Tom Powell. All right, welcome back in, everybody. As you heard the man in the intro say, this is the second half podcast. I'm Tom Powell, and you should go get yourself some margaritas. And the reason why you should go get yourself some margaritas today is because today, Friday, December 1st, is my son's 12th birthday, which in and of itself is just hard to imagine, but... uh, it is the last year of his life before he hits teen years, <clears throat> and it's the last year Renee and I will have a non-teenage child in the house. Uh, so my kids are spread out all over the place, 12, 19, 22, 34, it, they're all over the place. And a year from today, our youngest will be a teenager. So go get yourself a pitcher of margaritas and celebrate accordingly. It's December, which means we are officially into the holiday season. If you haven't uh, already put your Christmas lights up, you're already too late. Get them up now. And uh, go get drunk in honor of my son's birthday. I don't know what to tell you. Uh, uh, Quickly... As I do every week, uh, just a reminder to swing by my website, oldhippymedia.com. That's oldhippiemedia.com. There you're going to find almost anything you want to know about me, including links on where you can buy my books, links to my other podcast, Off Topic with Tom Powell. Uh, Our next episode will feature Dilla, a Chicago historian. That's going to be an interesting conversation. Uh, You're going to find a link to my store. I have over 400 items to choose from. Links on where you can follow me on all the social media sites. My blog, I'm putting a new blog article up every week right now, so go subscribe to that. As well as links links to uh, other podcasts and news articles I've appeared in, as well as links in how you can contact me and more. Once again, that's at oldhippymedia.com. Now, as we do every week during the football season, I give you my football picks sure to be wrong. Uh, last week, I actually had a pretty good week picking. I went 12-4 and four last week, which brings my season record to 98-71. and 71. Not stunning, but a good week last week nonetheless. And last week, we saw the Bears blow a 12-point lead to division rival Lions And they became the first team this season to win a game without scoring a touchdown. A a, a mark you don't want in the NFL. This team is just bad. It's it's just bad. And I I really wish the McCaskies would sell this team so that 
decent ownership could take over and I might actually be able to root for a hometown team for once. But I just simply cannot root for them as long as the McCaskies own them. They are a fucking disaster of an ownership family. It's just so fucking bad. Anyway, let's make this a shortened football segment so we can get into the news. There's a handful of news that we've got to cover here. Uh, this week's winners, with the exception of the Thursday night game, obviously, will be the Chargers, Lions, Jets, Steelers, Colts, Dolphins, Texans, Buccaneers, Rams, Eagles, Chiefs, and Jaguars. Once again, those are my picks. Sure to go wrong. Do not bet with those picks. You will lose your money. All right. A non-political news story, if I could, please, before we get into the politics of the week. Um, I don't know if you guys saw this, but uh, Saturn's rings are set to disappear. I'm going to read to you now from CBS News. Uh, Saturn's rings will seemingly disappear from view in 2025, a phenomenon caused by the planet's rotation on an axis. Saturn won't actually lose its rings in 2025, but they will go edge-on, meaning they will be essentially invisible to Earthlings, NASA confirmed to CBS News. The rings will only be slightly visible in the months before and after they go edge-on. Amy Simon, senior scientist at NASA's Goddard Space Flight Center, said in a statement to CBS News. Those who want to see what Saturn looks like on various dates can use the PDS rings node, she said. Because the planet rotates on an axis tilted by 26.7 degrees, the view of its rings from Earth changes with time. Every 13 to 15 years, Earth sees Saturn's rings edge on, meaning they reflect very little light and are very difficult to see, making them essentially invisible. The rings last went edge-on in 2009, and they will be precisely edge-on on March 23rd, 2025. So a little, little non-political side note there. If you're, if you're into space, you're into astrology, not astrology. What the fuck am I talking about, astrology? If you're into interstellar, uh, interplanetary news, cool, funky things like that, you're into NASA, things of that, that nature... That's an interesting tidbit, and if you like looking at the planets, then on, what date did I give you here? March 23rd, 2025? Give Saturn a look, because you won't be able to see its rings, which should make for an interesting sight. I've never seen that before. I don't know what it looks like without its rings. I'm going to have to Google what that uh, looks like uh, from the last time they went edge on, but I find that to be rather interesting, which is why I wanted to throw it into the podcast today. Having said that, let's move on to some political news. Now, you would think that this first story wouldn't necessarily lend itself to be a political news story, but man, did the conservatives make it a news story, a political news story. There was an explosion on the Rainbow Bridge between the United States and Canada, and conservatives were quick to jump on it before knowing all the facts. I know that's a shock to you, but they did I'm going to read to you now from City News Toronto. While a vehicle explosion at a busy border crossing on the eve of U.S. Thanksgiving was enough to stir suspicion in even the most temperate types, some were notably quick to jump to conclusions that terror, and even Canada, were to blame. 
U.S. Representative Mike Kelly not only rashly concluded that it was indeed a terror attack, but also that the terrorists entered the U.S. through Canada. It was later confirmed that the driver of the ill-fated vehicle was from western New York and was instead apparently trying to enter Canada from the U.S. when, for reasons still unknown, he raced to a fiery death, taking his passenger with him. No evidence of explosives were found at the scene after the FBI, after an FBI probe, and New York State Governor Katie Hochul said there is no sign of terrorist activity with respect to the crash. But Kelly was among a trove of Republican politicians who weighed in on the event before those findings were made public, with many using it as an attempt to critique what they consider U.S. President Joe Biden's soft take on border security. Quote, for months I've warned about the surge of suspected terrorists entering through our northern border, Kelly posted on Twitter. We must greatly enhance border security at all of our borders, including the north. Representative Mike Kelly of Pennsylvania tweeted. I'm incredibly alarmed by reports of an attempted terror attack at the U.S.-Canada border. For months, I've warned about the surge of suspected terrorists entering through our northern border. We must greatly enhance border security at all of our borders, including the north. That's the exact tweet. Ted Cruz definitively declared that, quote, This confirms our worst fear. The explosion at Rainbow Bridge was a terrorist attack. End quote. The exact tweet reads, This confirms our worst fears. The explosion at Rainbow Bridge was a terrorist attack. Both attackers are dead, and one law enforcement officer is injured. I am praying for uh, that officer to make a full recovery. Uh, I'm praying that officer makes a full recovery and is able to spend Thanksgiving surrounded by family and loved ones. Arizona Representative Andy Biggs wasn't shy about politicizing the fatal crash. Quote, our borders are under attack, and the Biden administration continues to sit on its hands, he wrote. Texas Congressman Ronnie Jackson, now, I don't know if you guys remember Ronnie Jackson, but he was the White House uh, doctor who was accused of drinking on the job and sexually harassing uh, several people, and who famously said that uh, Donald Trump was the most fit president we've ever had. Yeah, he's now a representative in Texas. (laughs) He called it, quote, Terrible news for our country, but added it was, quote, not surprising to anyone based on the wide open borders we have, uh, we've had since Biden took office, end quote. U.S. media personality Ian uh, Hayworth uh, went so far as to declare, we are at war after the incident. Hayworth later deleted his tweet and owned up to being part of spreading misinformation after learning that no evidence of a terror attack was found. So I guess kudos to him for retracting his we are at war statement. But it wasn't just pundits and politicians uh, south of the border who were criticized for prematurely labeling the incident terror-related. Federal conservative leader Pierre Polievri I don't know how to say his name, so if I butchered that, I'm sorry. Spoke about the incident in the House of Commons when he asked Prime Minister Justin Trudeau for an update. We just heard media reports of a terrorist attack, an explosion at the Niagara crossing of the Canada-U.S. border. It is the principal responsibility of government to protect the people. Can the Prime Minister give us an update on what he knows and what action plan he will immediately implement to bring home security for our people? Trudeau responded that he had been briefed and that there was still a lot of questions surrounding the incident before excusing himself to deal with the issue. So, 
what we've learned from this one particular incident is it doesn't matter what the facts are when it comes to Republicans. If Republicans can utilize any situation, any incident, any any happening in the world to criticize uh, Joe Biden and try to score political points against him, they will. All of these people ran with the terrorist attack, we are at war narrative before even knowing the facts. They were quick to jump on it because, God damn it, we've got to figure out a way to hurt Joe Biden heading into the election. And that's the Republican Party that we're dealing with in 2023. It doesn't matter what the facts are. It does not fucking matter what the facts are. If they can see an opportunity to try and politicize something in order to hurt Joe Biden, they will. And they did with this incident, and every fucking one of them should be ashamed of themselves. Now, don't get me wrong, Democrats have done that shit too in the past, but in this specific incident, it was Republicans that were jumping on the bandwagon to say this was a terrorist attack. Look, they're pouring in and they're here to kill us when it was really a fucking American entering Canada and there was no evidence of terrorist activity whatsoever. These fucking people should be ashamed of themselves. They won't be, but they should be. Moving on from the Rainbow Bridge, we've had a couple of deaths uh, of notoriety. Uh, The first of which I would like to discuss is the death of Rosalind Carter, former First Lady and wife of Jimmy Carter. I'm going to read to you now from NBC News. Rosalind Carter, the former First Lady and humanitarian who championed mental health care, provided constant political counsel to her husband, former President Jimmy Carter, uh, Carter and modeled gracefully, uh, graceful longevity for the nation, died Sunday at her home in Plains, Georgia, according to the Carter Center. Carter was 96 years old. She had entered hospice care in her home on Friday. In a statement, former President Carter said, Rosalind was my equal partner in everything I ever accomplished. She gave me wise guidance and encouraged uh, encouragement when I needed it. As long as Rosalind was in the world, I always knew somebody loved and supported me. That's a hell of a statement right there. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Sorry. Rosalind Carter was widely regarded for her political shrewdness, drawing uh, particular praise for her keen electoral instincts, down-to-earth appeal, and work on behalf of the White House, including serving as an envoy to Latin America. She devoted herself to several social causes in the course of her public life, including programs that supported health care resources, human rights, social justice, and the needs of elderly people. Quote, 25 years ago, we did not dream that people might someday be, a- be able actually to recover from mental illness, Carter said at a mental health symposium in 2003. Today, this is a very real possibility. 
For one who has worked on mental health issues as long as I have, she added, this is a miraculous development and an answer to my prayers. In late May, the Carter Center, the couple's human rights group, announced that she had been diagnosed with dementia. Quote, she continues to live happily at home with her husband, enjoying spring in Plains and visits with loved ones, the organization said in a statement. Bess Truman, the wife of President Harry Truman, is the only First Lady to have lived longer, according to the National First Lady's Library. Bess Truman died in 1982 at the age of 97. Jimmy and Rosalind were the longest married presidential couple in U.S. history. The Carters earned admiration for their humanitarian projects after they left the White House. They were closely linked with Habitat for Humanity, considered the charity to be tireless, considered by the charity to be, quote, tireless advocates, active fundraisers, and some of our best hands-on construction volunteers. From a personal standpoint, Rosalind Carter was exactly the kind of person we need more of in the world. Her and her husband devoted their lives to service of others. They lived, you you guys should take a moment and Google Jimmy Carter's house, where they live. They live in a regular old tiny little house in Plains, Georgia. They worked building homes for Habitat for Humanity. As, as, as I've read to you, she was involved in several causes. Dedication to service like that is rare. And the world is a lesser place now that she's gone. And my heart breaks for Jimmy Carter. Being married that long. I've been married for almost 25 years. In May, it'll be 25 years. And I cannot imagine my life without my wife. I can't imagine what I would be like if we made it that long and she went first. Jimmy Carter has to be absolutely devastated. And I would not be surprised if he was not very long behind her. The world lost a true humanitarian when, when we lost Rosalind Carter. In contrast to Rosalind Carter's death, another well-known political figure has passed away, and uh, this person was on the opposite of the spectrum that Rosalind Carter was on, and that would be Henry Kissinger. Uh, I'm going to read to you now from CBS News. Henry Kissinger, one of the most influential and controversial diplomats of the 20th century, died Wednesday at the age of 100, his firm said. Kissinger, who served as Secretary of State and National Security Advisor under President, uh, Presidents Richard Nixon and Gerald Ford, <coughs> remained a prominent voice on foreign policy issues long after leaving government in 1977. Quote, I work about 15 hours a day, he told CBS News weeks before he turned 100, saying with confidence that world leaders like China's Xi Jinping or Russia's Vladimir Putin would likely take his calls. He was known for his practice of real politic, quote-unquote, engaging uh, with the world based on practical objectives rather than moral ideals, and was credited with the secret diplomacy that helped thaw U.S. relations with China. But he was also accused of alleged war crimes for the bombing of Cambodia during the Vietnam War, 
backing Pakistan's genocide in Bangladesh and greenlighting the Argentine dictatorship's dirty war against dissidents. In 1968, Nixon chose Kissinger to be his national security advisor and during his uh, second term appointed him as Secretary of State. Kissinger was the first to serve in both roles at the same time and he retained both titles in the Ford administration after Nixon resigned. Kissinger's outreach to the Soviet Union and China is widely viewed as reshaping the direction of the Cold War. He negotiated the SALT uh, treaty, the Strategic Arms Limitation Talks, and Anti-Ballistic Missile Treaty with the USSR, lowering tensions between the two nuclear superpowers. And he opened back-channel talks between the U.S. and China in the early 1970s, leading to the establishment of formal diplomatic relations and Nixon's, Nixon's historic visit to China in 1972. His shuttle diplomacy, quote-unquote, also helped contain the 1973 Arab-Israeli War but his influence on other conflicts around the globe has been more controversial. Kissinger played a key role in the U.S. carpet bombing of Cambodia during the Vietnam War, which killed thousands of civilians and helped enable the rise of the genocidal Khmer Rouge regime. Yet, he also shared a Nobel Peace Prize in 1973 for his involvement in talks aimed at ending the Vietnam War. Kissinger grew fierce criticism for others uh, for other positions he deemed to be in America's interest, including undermining the democratically elected government of Chile, which lay the groundwork for a military coup, and sending weapons to Pakistan's dictator, whose regime slaughtered residents of what's now Bangladesh. In 1976, when right-wing military leaders seized power in Argentina, Kissinger told them, quote, If there are things that have to be done, you should do them quickly. Human rights abuses were rampant. Tens of thousands of people were tortured, assassinated, or just flat-out disappeared. Uh, quote, I've had the honor, I've had the honor that I have been able to do sometimes little and sometimes more important things for ten presidents, starting with Kennedy, Kissinger said in a 2012 interview with CBS News. I had very friendly relationship, a very friendly relationship with Bush 43. He invited me, quite frankly, to talk with him. More recently, he shared foreign policy advice with then-President Trump, who praised Kissinger's immense talent at the White House meeting in 2017. On a personal note, Henry Kissinger was a piece of shit. An absolute piece of shit. Uh, he is responsible for the near genocide of a couple of different people in a couple of different parts of the world. And he absolutely has no, had, I should say, no shame for his role in the slaughter of innocent civilians around the world. He was a fucking scumbag, a far right wing conservative, uh, borderline fascist and the world is a better place now that he's not in it we can't actually credit karma since the motherfucker lived to be a 100 but hey at least he's fucking dead <clears throat> the, the the juxtaposition the, the, the contrast between the death of Rosalind Carter and the death of Henry Kissinger is just monumental 
Rosalind Carter, somebody that dedicated their life to the service of good. Henry Kissinger, some, Kissinger, somebody who is responsible for the deaths of thousands and thousands and th- thousands of civilians around the world. It's amazing that those two people, it's just amazing. Uh, Speaking of scumbags, ignorant pieces of shit, people who should no longer be breathing, we now have a bit of news from Kyle Rittenhouse. Now, I just gave you some good news about Henry Kissinger dying. I've got more good news for you when it comes to Kyle Rittenhouse. This is not a a bad news story when it comes to Kyle Rittenhouse, like so many are. Uh, This is actually a good news story. Uh, Kyle Rittenhouse is apparently broke. (laughs) I'm going to read to you now from Newsweek. Kyle Rittenhouse has lost his money since he was acquitted over three shootings at a protest in Wisconsin, his criminal defense attorney, Mark Richards, has said. The 20-year-old is releasing a book that describes his life as well as the circumstances around his fatal shootings of 36-year-old Joseph Rosenbaum and 26-year-old Anthony Huber in August of 2020. Rittenhouse also injured 26-year-old Gage Grasskreutz, I hope I said that correctly, at the protest held after Jacob Blake, a black man, was paralyzed from the waist down after he was shot by a white police officer that same month. Rittenhouse argued that he used the gun in self-defense and was acquitted on charges of first-degree intentional homicide, attempted first-degree intentional homicide, first-degree reckless homicide, and two charges of first-degree reckless endangerment safety. Rittenhouse sparked uproar after he announced his new book, Acquitted, on his social media account on November 20th, describing it as a story of survival, resilience, and justice. No, you little Nazi piece of shit wannabe cocksucker. If there were justice in the world, you'd be in prison right now. Talking to Court TV, attorney Mark Richards, who represented Rittenhouse, said, quote, He is working. He is trying to support himself. Everybody thinks that Kyle got so much money from this. Whatever money he did get is gone. He's living, I don't want to say paycheck to paycheck, but he's living to support himself. Obviously, as his lawyer and somebody who I want to do well, I hope he does re-engage in his studies. But right now, he is working full-time, he is living a law-abiding life, and he is doing something that he enjoys. End quote. Newsweek reached out to Rittenhouse via Twitter for comment. Rittenhouse has been open about needing money in the past and previously used an appearance on Tucker Carlson's Fox News show to request donations to his legal fund. He faces lawsuits from the man he shot and injured, as well as from the father of one of the two men he killed. Richards, who is also representing Rittenhouse in, an upcoming civil, in his upcoming civil cases, said of the client's book, quote, He talked, about it to me, uh, talked to me about it. I read the book before it went to the publisher. I have no problem with him writing the book. He lived it, he paid for it, and it's his story to tell. I think he wanted the whole story told. I represented Kyle for almost the, from almost the beginning of the trial. That was approximately 15 months, and when I read the book, there were a lot of things I didn't know, Richard said. Uh, so, a couple of things. First of all, uh, no, it is not justice that you're walking free. 
I know a lot of people have a problem with what I have to say about Kyle Rittenhouse because they the the people on the far right are like, nah, he was defending himself. He was attacked. No, he wasn't. Okay? He wasn't. Kyle Rittenhouse lived in Illinois and traveled across state lines to Wisconsin in order to hunt people he didn't like. Period. That's what happened. There were protests going on in Wisconsin that had nothing to do with Kyle Rittenhouse at all. And he thought he was going to be a big man. He was going to get his gun. He was going to go to Wisconsin. And he was going to get himself some. He went to fuck around and then he found out. He went looking for trouble and he fucking found it. And here's the thing about the people like Kyle Rittenhouse in the world. He went looking to act like a tough guy with his hat backwards and his gun on his fucking uh, 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 strapped over his uh, shoulder and on his chest and he was going to go into war because people like Kyle Rittenhouse can only go into war when they have a situation like that. They won't ever actually join the military and go to war because they're fucking pussies. They're coward pieces of shit that have no fucking balls and want to act tough and when he got into that crowd and people were like fuck that you're not going to shoot me and they started to fucking go after him like the coward pussy he is he ran scared shooting indiscriminately and he shot three people killing two he's a murderous scumbag nazi wannabe piece of shit i am fucking ecstatic that he is broke and i hope the motherfucker dies penniless But Tom, how do you really feel? Fuck Kyle Rittenhouse, fuck everything he stands for, and fuck anybody that supports Kyle Rittenhouse. He's a fucking piece of shit. And I guarantee you, I would bet you my fucking house, if the roles were reversed, we'd see a different viewpoint from all of the people who currently support Kyle Rittenhouse. If there was a pro-Trump rally going on that got violent, and some conservatives from another, or sorry, some liberals from another state decided to go interject themselves into that protest that they had nothing to do with, uh, do with and one of those liberals was armed, started fucking around in the crowd, got attacked by people because they feared for their lives from an armed lunatic, and uh, that liberal shot three conservatives, killing two of them, the same people who are defending Kyle Rittenhouse would be demanding the death penalty. I would bet my fucking house on it. But because he's white and conservative, they are going to back him. Kyle Rittenhouse is a piece of shit that belongs behind bars. But here's the beautiful part about Kyle Rittenhouse, because it is always going to play out this way with these motherfuckers. Kyle Rittenhouse will eventually get his because he's too fucking stupid to now keep his mouth shut and lay low. He's going to do something that's going to draw attention to him again. He's going to try and use his boomstick to try and resolve another conflict. And sooner or later, he's going to fuck with the wrong person. And then we're going to learn that Kyle Rittenhouse got his the way he should have gotten his a long fucking time ago. And if Kyle Rittenhouse is listening to this, fuck you, you little rat bastard piece of shit cocksucker. I'm glad you're broke. I hope you go hungry, you motherfucker. Now, speaking of being broke, I don't know that our next uh, subjects of a news story are broke, per se, but I find this interesting. You guys all know how much money we are told that the Trump family has. They're billionaires. They look at Papa Trump is a billionaire, and the kids are all millionaires. And you know, 
Ivanka's got her own lines of clothes and shoes and this and that, and she's married to a fucking slumlord who's worth millions of dollars. And Eric and Don Jr. are, are, are fucking living off the company that's that's raking in millions of dollars. They, they got the best fucking company and the best land holdings and all of this shit, right? So then why the fuck did they t- need to take out millions of dollars worth of loans? Because that's exactly what they did. I'm going to read to you now from Raw Story. The heirs to Donald Trump's fortune have been forced to take out hefty loans to buy their Florida properties, the Daily Mail reported on Sunday. After leaving the White House, Trump and his three eldest adult children all moved to Florida, a state where their properties cannot be seized due to a homestead exemption, which prevents a home as well as pensions and other 401k interests exempt from attachment. Jared Kushner and Ivanka didn't take a salary while working at the White House, circumventing nepotism laws. Yet upon leaving the White House, the couple reported between $172 million and $640 million in outside income. The Citizens for responsible, uh, Responsibility and Ethics in Washington said, In their final year, they made $24 million despite the pandemic. Then, upon leaving the White House, Kushner made a deal with the Saudi Investment Fund for $2 billion to start a hedge fund. The former first daughter and her family then purchased a $30 million plot of land at Billionaire Bunker on a Miami island. The Daily Mail uh, report only accounts for part of the fund, saying that the Indian Creek home cost $24 million. They borrowed $15 million from Bank of America using an LLC linked to Kushner's general counsel, Christopher Smith. The New York Post reported that they got a discount on the property, but said that Kushner also purchased the 200 feet of beachfront area as their own, which appeared to be a $6 million discrepancy. It means he spent $30,000 million or $30, per square foot. While the Kushner slash Trump family lives far from the uh, from Mar-a-Lago, Donald Trump Jr. and his girlfriend bought a $9.7 million pad in March of 2021 in the celeb enclave of Jupiter, home to numerous sports stars such as Tiger Woods and Serena Williams. They took out a $4.8 million mortgage on the home. Eric and his wife, Lara, purchased a $3.2 million estate near his brother in Jupiter with a $2.4 million mortgage. It is also in his dad's gated Trump National Golf Course. Tiffany Trump, who has always gone her own way, was rumored to be looking for a Miami home several years ago, but is yet to make the plunge. Their father, Donald Trump, claimed to have a net worth of $2.6 billion, Forbes claimed at one point in time. Now that there are questions about Trump's actual net worth during the New York fraud trial, it's unclear where the value is listed. One detail Ivanka mentioned in court earlier this month is that she and her siblings turned over their inheritance to help their father look as if he had a larger net worth. Quote, they pledged assets of their own to help them uh, satisfy the guarantee, which according to Deutsche Bank, was his and his alone, said NBC legal analyst Lisa Rubin uh, after racing uh, out of the courtroom. Quote, he was borrowing money from his kids' piggy banks, and I'm not sure the impact of that struck everyone in the courtroom. My jaw almost dropped. I almost dropped my phone on the floor. It was, I was just astonished by the proof that Donald Trump was robbing Peter to pay Paul, so to speak. 
Speaking with NBC host Ali Velshi earlier this month, New York Times investigative reporter Suzanne Craig said things are getting real for the Trumps as they go from bad to worse for the future of the family company. So daddy's worth billions of dollars, the kids are each worth millions of dollars, yet they needed to take out a collective, or collectively, they needed to take out loans worth $22 million to buy houses? That's suspicious. Why do multimillionaires want to take out a mortgage? Why not just buy the house outright and not pay the interest? I don't know. Maybe I'm just not as smart of a business person as any of the Trump kids are, but uh, forgive me for being so blunt, but that just seems fucking stupid. Or it seems like they don't have the fucking money that they thought they had. Or that we thought they had because they were trying to tell us they had it. Folks, I think that the uh, the end of the Trump family is very, very, very near. Donnie is going to be indicted before, or indicted, convicted before he becomes the nominee. Mark my words on this one. He is going to lose the New York case. He's going to appeal all these cases. So the, the actual final... Uh, uh, punishment is going to get delayed on all of these cases, but he's going to get—he's going to lose this civil case. He's going to owe New York two hundred and fifty million dollars, which he doesn't have. They're going to start trying to 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 snag his properties and sell them off. But then he starts in March. He starts criminal cases, <laughs> and he is going to be convicted of felonies before the RNC convention in, in, I believe, June of next year. Now, just to kind of give you a little bit of perspective as to what that means, does does that mean Donald Trump's going to be in prison before the RNC convention? No, it means he's going to be a convicted felon, and he's going to appeal that. But what it does mean is he's probably not going to be able to vote for himself in the election. And I want you guys to think about that for a moment. I want you to just put that in your noodle and roll that around for a moment. The Republican nominee for president in 2024 will most likely not be able to vote for himself because he will be a convicted felon. That is Republicanism in the age of Trump. Chris Christie is a piece of shit, but he's dead right when he says, if we elect Donald Trump, being the Republicans elect Donald Trump to be their nominee, they're dead in the water. There is no fucking way in hell, after Trump goes through all of these fucking trials, that this nation is going to re-elect him to be president. Now, I have another story here for you. And I know that this one's going to come as a bit of a shock, but try to contain your your shockedness. We have yet another sex scandal involving the GOP and far-right-wing conservative Christians. And this one's a doozy. This one is fucking chef's kiss. This one is just, it, it, it makes my nipples hard. When I, when I read it. Yeah, I was like, oh, this is a good one. I'm going to read to you now from Mother Jones. The article begins, where to even begin? Question mark. 
The investigative journalism outlet Florida Center for Government Accountability has a story alleging that Christian Ziegler, the chairman of the Florida GOP, sexually assaulted a woman. Now let's just pause right there. That's the, that's the head of the Republican Party in the state of Florida. The chair of the Florida GOP has been accused of sexually assaulting a woman. This would be enough to attract attention, but this woman was allegedly having, having a menage a trois with him and his wife Bridget, the crusading chair of the Sarasota School Board and co-founder of the parents' rights group Moms for Liberty. <laughs> These are the fucking people that are trying to ban books in our kids' school because they're too dirty. The accusation in the story, which Mother Jones could not independently verify, are wild to say the least. The woman, according to sources close to the investigation, alleged that she and both Zieglers had been involved in a long-standing consensual three-way sexual relationship prior to the incident. Now, let's just pause right there. Is there something wrong with, with bringing somebody else into your relationship and having three people in the bedroom fucking? No, there isn't. If that's what you want to get into get into it. There's absolutely nothing wrong with it. Is there something wrong with having a consensual three-way relationship when you are the far right-wing Christian head of the GOP who claims to be a uh, superior moral subject to everybody else and wants to tell everybody else how to live their life? Yeah. Yeah, that's called hypocrisy. And then when your wife is the co-founder of the Moms for Liberty group, which is a female Nazi organization designed at installing fascism in our kids' schools across the country because these books are too smutty and we can't have kids thinking about things like this. Yeah, this is pure fucking hypocrisy. The incident under investigation by Sarasota police, occurred when Christian Ziegler and the woman uh, woman were alone at the woman's house without Bridget Ziegler present, the sources conveyed. Sources also corroborated that a search warrant was executed on Christian Ziegler's cell phone and that investigators continued to conduct a, a forensic examination of the electronic device. Christian Ziegler is also alleged to have secretly videotaped the sexual encounters between the couple and the woman, sources said. The story links to a police report obtained through a Freedom of Information request for information involving Christian Ziegler. Nearly every word of the report has been redacted except raped and sexual assault complaint. If this scandal appeared in a book, it would certainly be banned for, by Moms for Liberty, which has called for sexually explicit material to be removed from school libraries, especially those that involve same-sex relationships of any kind. Now, let's just pause right there. They got a big problem with same-sex relationships. They have a huge problem, the Moms of Liberty do, with same-sex relationships, and we don't know what was going on in the bedroom of Christian and Bridget Ziegler with this other woman. But you got three people in bed having sex. Two of them are women. Are you telling me Bridget Ziegler never ate some puss? Are you telling me uh, Bridget Ziegler never went down on her friend? There was never a moment where she was just... Just down there fucking gnawing away? You know there was. And vice versa. 
which makes her an even bigger hypocrite. The group has been at the forefront of the movement to remove LGBTQ plus inclusive curriculum from classrooms. Ziegler spoke at both Moms for Liberty conferences I attended, uh, now service serves, uh, uh, sorry, from the reporter that I attended, now serves as vice president at the Leadership Institute, the decades-old organization that trains conservatives to run for office and has been a sponsor of Moms for Liberty conferences for two years running. She has been praised lavishly by Florida Governor and presidential hopeful Ron DeSantis, who once said, quote, we should have her in every county. You might be able to. (laughs) Sorry, sorry. Uh, This news coincides with the end of Ziegler's term as Sarasota School Board Chair. In a Facebook post yesterday, she listed her accomplishments, which included terminated gender-diverse guidelines, eliminated equity committee, and eliminated equity policy and positions. Quote, I am optimistic that we have many of the right people who are willing to roll up their sleeves and make the tough decision ne- decisions necessary to improve the areas that have needed attention for over a decade, she wrote in that post. If each board member remains mission-focused and doesn't waver in their responsibility of accountability, then the sky is the limit. I know you're going to be shocked to hear this, but neither of the Zieglers have commented uh, on any of the allegations. They don't want to talk about it. So, the head of the Florida Republican Party and his wife, co-founder for the uh, Nazi organization known as Moms for Liberty, have been fucking another woman together, allegedly, filming these encounters, allegedly, and then the husband raped the other woman when his wife wasn't around, allegedly, and we're all supposed to be shocked? I don't fucking think so. This sounds like exactly what we would expect out of people just like this. And there are tapes? Lordy, there are tapes? I want to see the fucking tapes. I want to see the proof and the evidence of this three-way relationship because I would like to see these two people buried, politically speaking, forever. There's going to be a lot more to this story to come out, boys and girls. A lot more. But my guess is Christian and Bridget are going to have to find themselves a new toy in bed because this woman's done with them. Now, we're going to move on to our last story of the week, but this one is a doozy because what it does is it spotlights even further the hypocrisy of the Republicans in this country. All right, we, We've seen the hypocrisy on display throughout this episode, uh, not the least of which was the story that I just told you, obviously, about uh, uh, the Zieglers having a threesome with, with another woman. Uh, while advocating against anything that has to do with same-sex relationships and and standing on moral high ground. But when it comes to political hypocrisy with our elected officials in Congress, this one really takes the fucking cake for me. As we all know, since Joe Biden announced he was running for the presidency, one of the biggest targets of the right wing has been 
Hunter Biden. We got to get Hunter Biden. He's the problem. If we could show Hunter Biden was a criminal, we can prove that, that, that Joe Biden's a criminal. They have been after this fucking guy forever. Now I'm going to read to you an article from Vanity Fair, and the article is titled, this is, this is one of the greatest article titles I've ever read, Republicans trip over their own assholes trying to take down Hunter Biden. And boy, is that an accurate title for an article. Listen to this. If you're a person living in the year 2023, you very likely know that Republicans have long been obsessed with the idea that the Biden family comprise a vast criminal enterprise and that Joe Biden, as the conspiracy holds, is at the very top. They've desperately attempted to make this idea stick ever since Donald Trump tried and failed to get Ukraine to smear Biden and his son in exchange for military aid. Naturally, this thirst to prove that the president is a criminal mastermind and somehow, as they claim, mentally incapacitated, has only grown since the GOP won its razor-thin majority in the House. But unsurprisingly, their push to impeach him has thus far uncovered nothing in the way of actual evidence, as Republicans in both the House and Senate will tell you. Also, Hunter Biden appears to have called them on their bluff. On Tuesday, the President's son said that he will comply with a subpoena for testimony from the House Oversight and Accountability Committee, but only in a public setting. In a letter to Congress, Hunter Biden's lawyer noting that the committee has used closed-door sessions to manipulate, even distort the facts, and misinform the public, proposed a public hearing on December 13th, the very day the GOP had set for Biden's closed-door interview. If, as you claim, your efforts are important to to involve... Let me start over again. If, as you claim, your efforts are important and involve issues that Americans should know about, then let the light shine on these proceedings, he wrote. The response from committee chair James Comer? Absolutely not. These proceedings must take place in private. In a statement, Comer wrote, Hunter Biden is trying to play by his own rules instead of following the rules required of everyone else. That won't stand with House Republicans. Naturally, he did not mention that House Republicans regularly defy subpoenas. Later, appearing on Newsmax, Comer explained that Biden simply must testify privately because otherwise Democrats will interrupt him and his fellow Republican colleagues with fact checks. Comer unpersuasively argued, quote, as these hearings go, you got 20 members on each side that have five minutes each. We have tens of thousands of pages of documents that we need to sit down and ask specific substantive questions without filibustering, without interruption, without going five minutes back and forth with Jamie Raskin and Dan Goldman and little Jared Moskowitz jumping up and down, filing motions and trying to disrupt the committee hearings. Speaking of Raskin, in a statement released Tuesday, he called the GOP's rejection of Biden's offer to testify in public an epic humiliation and a frank confession that they are simply not interested in the facts and have no confidence in their own case or the ability of their own members to pursue it. Let me get this straight, Raskin wrote. After wailing and moaning for 10 months about Hunter Biden and alluding that Uh, to some vast, unproven family conspiracy after sending Hunter Biden a subpoena to appear and testify, Chairman James Comer and the oversight Republicans now reject his offer to appear before the full committee in the eyes of the world and to answer any questions that they posed? 
He added, after the miserable failure of their impeachment hearing in September, Chairman Comer has now apparently decided to avoid all committee hearings where the public can actually see for itself the logical, rhetorical, and factual contortions they have tried themselves tied themselves up in. The evidence has shown time and again President Biden has committed no wrongdoing doing much less an impeachable offense. Chairman Cobra's insistence that Hunter Biden's interview should be behind closed doors proves it once again. Also calling out the absurdity of the situation was Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who wrote on Twitter, the reason the GOP don't want a public hearing on Hunter Biden is because the Oversight uh, Committee Democrats have hoisted them by their own petards in every public hearing this year. They're scared of getting humiliated for not having an actual case again, so they need to hide. And she is 100% correct. If they had a case, they would be begging for this thing to be made public. If they had evidence, they would be begging for this questioning to be made public because they would be able to trip Hunter Biden up and show that he's lying to the American people in real fucking time. They want it behind closed doors so that they can contort and twist the testimony that's being uh, that's being offered. Fuck House Republicans. I say Hunter Biden should defy that subpoena unless this is going to be an open hearing. And if you want him, come fucking get him. Send the marshals to go fucking get him. They don't want this to be a public hearing because they know they have no fucking case. If they had any fucking evidence, they would have showed the fucking American people by now. But every time they say they have evidence, this Comer piece of shit is one of the people that said, well, we don't actually have evidence of Joe Biden receiving money directly, but yet he keeps accusing Joe Biden of receiving money directly from places like China. The Republican Party has nothing but hatred, no evidence, no facts, no data, and that's why they want it all hidden behind closed doors. Fuck House Republicans. And House Republicans, by the way, are about to get fucked because today is the vote to expel uh, Santos from New York, and he's going to get expelled, most likely. The, the votes seem to be there, which means their five-seat majority, uh, four-seat majority, is going to be down to three. And then... McCarthy, who was just ousted as uh, uh, Speaker of the House, has said that he plans on stepping down from his seat at the end of the year. Which means they're going to lose another. Uh, uh, they're going to have. They're going to be down to a one or two vote uh, margin by January first. Which means they all listen. They already can't get shit passed without Democratic help. They're really going to need Democratic help to get fucking anything passed if that help happens. You could only afford to lose one or two votes. You better have all your fucking ducks in a row. And this right here, House or, uh, Senate Republicans don't even buy into this bullshit. The Senate Republicans themselves have said, no, this should be public. Why are they fighting this? Josh Hawley, Josh Hawley. The little scared boy running on January 6th said, I don't understand why they're not uh, taking Hunter Biden up on this. Do this publicly. Let the American people see. Well, Josh, the reason why they're not taking Hunter Biden up on this is because they don't want the American people to see that they have been lying to them. That they're not interested in governing. They're only interested in trying to exact some form of revenge for the fact that uh, Donald Trump lost the election and was impeached twice in his one and only term. And this is what they're interested in doing. They're not interested in helping the American people. They're not interested in governing for the good of the people. They're interested in revenge. 
and they don't have the evidence or data to support their revenge tour, so they want it all done behind closed doors, so then they can take the information, twist it, contort it, redact it, and put the information out the way they want to put it out, so it would make them look good. Have this fucking hearing in public. Let the world see. Put the cameras on Hunter Biden, grill the shit out of him for 10, 15, 16 hours straight, whatever the fuck it is, and ask all of those fucking questions in a public hearing. And if you don't, you're a lion sack of ballist pricks. And on that note, that brings us to the close of this week's episode. I thank you guys for listening. As always, I hope you swing by the website. Go subscribe to both my uh, my subscription and my other podcast. I've got four great episodes up on the other podcast so far. Uh, Each one of them with wonderful interview guests with many, many more to come. Uh, Once again, that's oldhippymedia.com. Swing by there. Give it all a look. I thank you guys for continuing to listen to this this, uh, podcast and this episode in particular. Tell all your friends about this. And tune in next Friday for an all-new episode of the Second Half Podcast with Tom Powell. And until then, as always, stay grateful.